to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. As you get to Matthew chapter 7, we've been there for a little while now as we go through the book of Matthew. We've been going in Matthew for a few weeks, months now, and I uh, have enjoyed it. Me personally, I've enjoyed just being able to go through uh, chunks of scripture at a time uh, with you, praying that that will help build your concept as you come to the book of Matthew. There will be some familiarity with you as you read through and see some things through the book of Matthew. We're at the Sermon on the Mount at this point, and there's some things that you'll, as you, let me just put all these on the screen real quick here. As you think about all that, at, all that Jesus has started with the Sermon on the Mount, if you start, so you start back in really beginning of Matthew chapter 5, all the way now to where we are in Matthew chapter 7, this is all still one setting. He sat down with them on the mountainside, his disciples, after he said to them, I will make you fishers of men. And then he's going to lay out some things to them, saying, okay, look, if you are going to be a fisher of men, this is what it needs to look like. Or if you're going to be part of the kingdom, this is what a Christian should look like. And so as you think about these things, you have to evaluate yourself, your morality, your religion, your prayer, your treasures, your fasting, and your worry. Now we get to Matthew chapter 7. Now don't look yet, no no cheating, okay? Because when you start reading, you're going to be very familiar with this. But what's interesting is, even though we are very familiar with this, this is probably one of the areas of the church that struggles the most. This is probably... If you think about the church in general, this is one of the areas that we struggle the most. Okay, And the reason is, is because there's something inside of us that we always like to be criticizing your human relationships. It's amazing how we like to look around and say, well, did you see your this or that or whatever? I'm sure that none of you do that, just me, it's my problem. Okay? But when you come to this Sermon on the Mount and you get some of this reality, you're kind of going to get punched in the nose this morning from the Word of God, not from me. But as you open this up and you read Jesus' words to you, He's really going to encourage you to stop the bad press. But the thing is, I can preach to you for hours about stopping the bad press, but until you sit down and have a heart relationship with Jesus, bad press is going to roll off who you are. Because you haven't come to grips with a personal reality and your personal relationship with Christ. So really I'm going to talk to you about two things this morning. One of those is the, the, the criticism, and the other one I want to talk to you about is start caring for others. So as you have your Bible, go to look in, in Matthew chapter 7, in the very beginning of Matthew chapter 7. You read these words. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Stop there. Is that pretty clear? Do not judge. It's a command. It's not if, you, if you're feeling right or life is good or everything is working out all right. It's a command. 
Jesus is commanding these people as they're sitting around him, disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men. This is a command I have for you. Now, I realize that you and I aren't sitting on the mountainside with Jesus. I got that. I realize that you and I don't grow up in Jewish homes. I understand that too. But as I bring Matthew chapter 7 into my life this week, and I bring it in front of you this morning, you've been commanded not to judge. You've been commanded not to be critical. And so this morning, as we think about do not judge, I say this to you. You are not God. Now I realize that might come a shock to some of you. But I want you to think about this with me. If I'm commanded not to be critical or judgmental, and you all know the word picture, the illustration that he's going to use, you understand what he's going to say, okay? You've heard it a lot if you've been around church. But it's still something that you and I are going to struggle with. Because there's something inside of all of us sitting in this room. Okay? Not just all of us. We all do sin well. That's what comes natural out of all of us. You can blame Adam and Eve. I'm not saying you're a bad person, but sin is something that is natural for us. And part of that sin, if you don't really stop and think about it, part of that sin is being critical, and part of that sin is you saying, you know what, God, I think I know what's best. And God, that person, whatever it might be, when you judge them, you'll be judged on that same standard that you're judging them. So as I think my way through this, so take your Bible and go with me to the book of James. I just want you to see... Uh, James chapter 4 and verse 11. I don't know, as I was thinking about this week, I really hadn't thought about it from this perspective before. So James chapter 4, and look at verse 11. James four eleven, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law of and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There is one lawgiver and one judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Only one judge, the one who died on the cross. And so this morning, as we've gathered as a family, I want you also to go to Matt, go back to the book of Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 23. I want you to look at verse 12 of Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12. For whoever exalts himself will be humble. So whoever judges, well, I'm better than so-and-so. So you exalt yourself, you will be humble. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So now come back to your come back to Matthew chapter 7. So if you judge and you exalt yourself, guess what? God will humble you. But if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. 
And so this morning as we've gathered around Matthew chapter 5, and you think about this, or Matthew chapter 7, you think about this passage, maybe you can frame it in these words. The Savior doesn't call for men to cease to be examining or discerning. I'm not saying to you that when you're involved in a situation that you don't need to use your wisdom. You know, we, we were told by Paul in Galatians, if, if somebody preaches any other message than Christ crucified, you just need to walk away. Okay? I'm, not asking, I'm not talking about those things. Okay? I'm talking about a critical spirit. I think we need to be aware and wisdom and wise and ask God, God, what do you think we should do? Or God, what is this person really saying? We're not talking about that. But we're talking about we need to renounce the presumptuous temptation to try to be God. You need to set that aside. God, I'm not going to do that. It's always interesting for us as we're involved in ministry. And we were riding back um, last night. And I was saying, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking about four or five different things last night. As Susan and I were riding home after the whole, you know, everything that we were involved in yesterday. And there was like four or five things that I wanted to say. But I said, no, that's criticism. So I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to hold it. And I guess one of our sayings that we've learned, Mr. Farmer, is what is not what you don't say cannot be held against you. So even as I'm, and so I'm not saying to you, I figured this all out. This has been a pretty interesting week for me, trying to work my way through this passage of scripture. So I'm, I don't have all the answers here, but I've come face to face with reality that there's a temptation in me, and as well, I think as you, in order to say, you know what, I think I need to be the judge. Here's an interesting quote. I want you to see this. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. That was Mother Teresa's quote. Another quote, judging a person does not define who they are, it defines who you are. Okay? All of you understand this passage, so I want you to keep on reading. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 7. I want you to read on down with me. Pick it up in verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take, let me take the speck of, out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Just stop there. Jesus gives an, an illustration. Pretty unbelievable, unrealistic. There's not many of us that walk around with a plank sticking out of our eye. But it's true, isn't it? There's a temptation for all of us sitting in this room to find that little speck and say, hey, look at the speck. And we're so unwise that we haven't even thought about this passage of Scripture saying, you know what, God, really, you're talking to me. It's easy to point out the faults in others and not even look at your own faults. morning as we've gathered as family and and I understand the dynamics I understand being part of a church family but let's not make this the characteristic of our family 
Let's not walk around with planks and point out all the little things in everybody else's or looking for the little speck of dust in everybody else's eye and we'll walk around with all the bunch of planks because we haven't come to reality. You realize Matthew chapter 7, if you walk around with a plank, he calls you a hypocrite. So the one who's willing to die on the cross for our sins is not, we don't even go to him and say, you know what, hold on a second, I accept forgiveness of sins. You have changed my life. I appreciate it. Would you continue to change me? Because I don't want to be the plank person. I don't want to be the one where the glass is always half empty. I don't want to be the one where I always see the negative. And for, for whatever reason, sometimes for me, I can see ten negatives before I can see one positive. And I don't know why that is. Well, I am human, but there's, all, there's people of us that have more tendencies to see ten things. We can see the ten negative things and we can see one positive. So I get in the van this morning to come to the church and I'm listening to the song Chain Breaker on the radio. I get in the van and, and as I sit, as the door opens and I'm praying for Sunday morning, the birds chirping. And thank you, Lord. I want to see those things. I don't always want to see where there's dirt on the carpet or where the thing didn't work in the bathroom where you can't get the paper towel out. And so, you know, I don't want to see all those things. Because that's the easier part to find. And, and what's interesting is, as you, as, you, as you reckon with this, this is going to take some your own personal time with Jesus' work. You're not going to be able to pop the plank out and your life is going to be changed. I realize that. There's some things where you can just walk away and say, boom, that's no more part of my life. Just move and you go on. I don't think this is one of those things. I think this is one of those things that we sit at the feet of Jesus daily and say, okay, Lord, I develop my relationship with you. Help me go in a different direction. Here's something I thought was really interesting. You don't know what storm I've asked her to walk through. God. So isn't it sad that at times where God has asked somebody to walk a journey and they're scarred and wounded in that journey? And we point out all the scars and the wounds. We become critical. And all along, God has said, hey, I walked through... And I, and I don't know the whole... I mean, obviously, I don't know all the story. I know some of our stories. I know my story. Okay? I know the road that he's asked me to walk. I know the scars that are in my soul, and those are things that are not things of choices that I've all made. I'm not thinking about my personal sin choices. I'm thinking about the road that he marked out for me. He said, okay, I want you to walk this road. I want you to go here, but I don't want to go here. I didn't ask to go here. No, no, I want to go here because I want to mold and shape your heart. So go here. I want you to walk through this. So as I've walked through that in my woundedness, it's sad when people pick, pick out the scar. It's sad when people come and criticize your woundedness. Instead of coming alongside of us and say, hey, look, I want to walk with you. And so as you read on, you have this verse, you know, verse 8, and, and it's like, do not give to dogs what is sacred, and don't throw pearls to the pigs. If you do, then they may trample them under their feet, and then they turn and tear the, the pieces. And to you and I, what, what, we have no idea. Why is this in there? Jewish people didn't have dogs like we have. So Jesus is saying to the Jewish believers, we're not, going to take, we're not taking some sacred meat and just tossing it to a dog. 
The Jew would have never done that. He's not saying um, to the Jews as they're, as they're sitting on this hillside, there was no such thing as a pot-bellied pig that lived in a Jew's home. So there wasn't a, a, a pig wasn't their pet, even though I realize that if you don't know this, pigs are about the intelligence of a five-year-old. Uh, so they can, they can go in your house. And I have friends that have a pig that lives in their house. And if they don't put the potato chips up high enough, even though the bag is closed, that, that pig will go over there and eat the whole bag of potato chips. It knows where the potato chips are. And so if it's on the wrong area, they're going to eat the potato chips. I realize that I don't... Does anybody in here have a pet pig that lives in their house? We know people have pet pigs, but anybody, have in their, anybody live in their house? Thanks to their dads. We know about them. Anybody have a pet pig that lives in the house? Okay, so this to us is not, but Jewish people were, were against, uh, you know, pigs. They often they find them in the garbage dump. And it, so he's just, he's just making another word picture. And to a Jew, it would have jumped off the page. But to you and I, it's, it's no big deal. Okay, what should jump off the page for us is the words do not judge. What should jump off the page to us is where's the plank? Better remove it. Because as long as you have life and breath on this earth, there will always be a temptation to look for the sawdust in somebody else's eye, and you're walking around with a plank sticking out of your own eye. It's a temptation for all of us this morning. All of us sitting in this room. And really what we should be doing, take your Bible and go here. This really should be where we should be spending most of our time as we think about our own personal life. And you think about David's words in Psalm 51. Incredible words. And as you probably... In my Bible, as I go through this, to Psalm 51, I've got, got already highlighted as creating me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit uh, within me. I've, as I go to Psalm 51, that's naturally where my eye goes, is Psalm 51 and verse 10. But I think really should be go over to verse 1 and, and, and check out and see where David starts. God, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. God, you wash all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, God, and you only have I sinned. And I have done what is evil in your sight. So that you are that you might prove the right, what you, so that you are proved right when you speak and justify, when you judge. Surely I was sinful at my birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in my inner, inner part to teach me wisdom in your innermost places. Cleanse me with a hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than sin. Have we come to grips at all this week with our own personal sin? I don't, I don't care about what your neighbor did or didn't do. I'm talking about you personally. Has there been any pause in our world this week and said, okay, God, I'm a sinner. Created me a, a pure. God, I recognize what I've done is not... <laughs> this is what I love of what it was, what's really interesting to me. David recognized his sin was before his God. God, before you I sinned. You can hide a lot of sin. From earthly people. You can't hide your sin from God. So there has to be this 
this wrecking in your soul that where you're saying, okay, God, I need you to do something inside of me. You can't do this on your own. You can't just wake up and say, okay, God, my heart is clean today. God, I'm not going to be critical today. God, I want to see the glass half, half full today. It's not something that's going to... Now, some of you are better at it than others, but this is not something that's natural. So as you, as you go back to Matthew chapter 7, as you think about the Jewish believers that are sitting there, and as he's already said to them before he started the Sermon on the Mount, he already said to them, I'm going to make you a disciple. Will you allow God to make you an individual that's not critical? Will you give him permission to do that work in your life? Will you allow God to allow you to be a person that does not judge? That will be determined how you care for others. If we do not do the beginning of this Matthew chapter 7 well, if we don't do some work in this beginning of Matthew chapter 7, we are truly not going to care for other people. Because you will always be a priority to you. So this morning, as you go back to Matthew chapter 7, pick it up in verse 7. It says these words. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Just stop there. I want to just talk briefly about the ask part of it. And I want to talk about it from a perspective that that where God has been working in, in my life as an individual, and I want to put these four words on the screen. And as you continue to be around our family, these four words are going to continue to become part of this. And I think it's very important for us when we think about, when we start thinking about asking, I think we need to go back to the Lord's Prayer. Because there's a temptation to ask for things before we develop a relationship. And I realize this morning as you think about these words. So as I think about asking my father, I want to start with my father with the first word, reverence. God, Heavenly Father, I'm not coming to you with my 20, I'm not saying lists are bad, okay? But I'm not coming to to you to the 25 things I think you need to do first before I seek your face. Okay, God, if you do this, 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 and this, then I'll have time for you. No, no. I'm coming to my Heavenly Father and say, okay, I want to seek your face first. I come in reverence. I learned early on as a Patterson that if I tried to demand things from my father, it did not turn out well. So that makes me realize that if I demand something from my Heavenly Father, it's not going to turn out well. If I come to my Father with reverence, if I come to my Father with response, saying, Father, I'm needy today, but you're worth Father, would you pour into me today so that I'm not critical? Father, I'm just going to set my day over to you. Will you help me today? Would you give me strength today? Would you give me understanding? 
I don't pray for patience. Because then he sends things my way, then he's going to work it out in my life. So I've learned long ago, don't pray for patience. But I want to be perseverant. I want to keep on keeping on no matter what the circumstances are. God, I'm going to follow you. And then I think about my requests. Okay, Lord, here's my daily needs. All of you have daily needs, right? There's not one of us in this room that doesn't have a daily need. Okay, God, here's my daily needs. Here's the car needs fixed. A little extra help here. God, I don't know what to do here. Would you guide me here? God, would you do this? But I think the last part of what I think when we think about asking is the most critical, is the readiness. Is to pause and say, okay, Father, you fight for me. Because I can't do this. Is there anyone in here that can fix your grandchildren? Anybody here can fix your great-grandchildren? Anybody here can fix your kids? Anybody here can fix yourself? There's not one of us, is there? So why don't you let God fight for you? Why don't you go back in the Old Testament sometime and spend some time just thinking about where God came in and just wiped house. Remind yourself when God came back to where Joshua in the battle of Jericho. And the walls came tumbling down. Remind yourself when God threw the horse and the rider into the sea, when Israel's coming out and Egypt's going to trap them. They're in the corner and God sends them to the cross and the Israelites are complaining, God, we're going to die out here. No, no. I'm going to use that for years to come in Exodus chapter 15 so that the whole world can be reminded that God and God alone threw the horse and the rider into the sea. Go back and refresh yourself on some of the, 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 with Gideon. Go back and refresh yourself with uh, Elijah when he calls down fire out of heaven. Go back and refresh yourself where God won the battle and there was nobody else that could take the the credit for it. Just God and God alone. That's who we're talking to. God, you fight for my children. You fight for my grandchildren. For my great-grandchildren. You fight for my neighbor. God, you fight for Mr. Oosley. We don't know know what to do. We don't know if he understands the gospel. But you know God. So you draw his heart to him. You draw him and say, hey, he, it's time for him to say yes. I'll never forget. Oh. I got a call to, to go visit. No, I didn't get a call. I found out that the guy that was building our house, his mom was in the hospital. So I decided I would go visit him at the ho- go visit her at the hospital. So I went and visit her. Then she was at home, so I went and knocked on the door. Bob Wills. Bob Wills wouldn't let. Me. They were there. I didn't know this. I just knocked on the door. Nobody answered. So I left. I didn't think nothing of it. They were inside. He didn't want me to come in. Through circumstances, he came to know Christ. He was given a Bible. And I don't know for how many years did Bob Wills come and hug us every Sunday morning. He come, didn't matter where he was in the auditorium, he would find, find it. And almost until he passed away, he said, you know, I really wish I would have opened that door that day. Sorry I didn't open the door. So you never know. I did. I just was just doing what I thought God wanted us to do. So let him fight for you. God, do something radical. Show us. 
We want to see your strength. So I would encourage you to keep on asking. I'm going to encourage you to keep on developing your relationship with Him. Even though your life is hurting right now. I'm going to challenge you to move towards Him, not away from Him. I don't know if you ever had the privilege of having children, but remember if you did, remember when they were like two and three and they would act out and all you really wanted to do was go in the totally opposite direction of them. You didn't want to have anything to do with them because there's no way they were your children acting like that. But because they were your children, because you were their parent, you moved towards them in their ugliness. So guys, I want to encourage us to keep moving towards God no matter what the situation. I want to encourage us as the ladies of Bible Fellowship Church to keep moving towards God no matter what the situation is. I also want to encourage us to keep seeking. And not seeking with the things that you want. Seeking with a microscope saying, okay God, I'm following. Actually really spending some time to get to know who your father is. More so than just saying, well, this is pretty interesting. Okay, God, it just you said here in you know, Matthew chapter 7, if I ask and I seek and I knock, okay, this is, this is the way it's going to be. No, that's, this isn't a blank check where you ask and God's going to say, yeah, you can have this today. No, 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 it's not, what you're, it's not about you. It's about you and him developing a relationship and you get to know him better and learning what he actually truly wants. And if you're, and if you're really honest, God, I mean... I don't want to oversimplify this, but really, you know what God's priority is? For people to get saved and people to grow up spiritually. It's really the way He wants us to do. So who are we praying that they would get saved? And how many of you are praying to grow up spiritually? Or are you maybe 65 and you still act like you're 15 spiritually? Because you haven't put in the hard work to say, okay, no, I'm here to seek your face. I want to know truth. Here's a pretty cool picture. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Whatever you do in your relationship with Christ, you keep moving forward. Because there's going to be a day that you're not going to be able to walk. You might be just pushing your chair around. One of my favorite people was Sam Gertz. He didn't walk. He rolled. And if you gave him ice cream, he rolled extra fast. And if you gave him any type of a a decline where he could take his wheelchair and go down somewhere, nine times out of ten, he pushed as hard as he could to go down that, and he would have his hands in the air as he went down, and he had no legs. And... I don't know how he didn't crash and burn all those years. I'm sure he did often. But that was just the way he just kept moving forward. God, I'm going to keep moving towards you. No matter how much it hurts, I'm going to keep moving towards you. If you take my legs away, I'll roll there. Keep moving forward. Keep knocking. He's asking you. Ask, seek, knock. You know what's interesting? If you don't knock, a door won't be open. If you never knock on a door, nobody's going to know you're out there. Is that true? If you never ring the doorbell, unless you're one of those people that have 
cameras or you're watching people drive by you or whatever, if somebody's standing at your, just walks up to your front door and just stands there, if they don't knock, you're most likely not going to know they're there and you're going to think they're kind of weird anyway. But anyhow, keep knocking. Whatever it is, keep knocking. And he might answer it the way you want it or he might answer it some other way. I don't, I'm not saying to you this is going to be easy. I'm not saying, you know, keep knocking and, and God's going to give you this. It hasn't worked out for me. I ask, he sends other things than what I ask for. But what I've learned is he knit me together in my mother's womb. He knows what's best for me. I don't always know what's best for me. And I don't think you always know what's best for you either. But there's a temptation, hey, you didn't give me what I wanted, so I stopped knocking. Don't do that. Don't get mad at him. Don't get disappointed. Don't get discouraged. Keep knocking. Still me, Dad. Still asking for this. This is what I think. This is what I think is best, Dad. And you probably have. I've never had this, and I hope that none of you have ever had to experience this. But if you keep on reading down, look in verse nine. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, that you give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish and you give him a snake? If you then, though, are you who are evil know to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? I don't know if you've ever asked your father. My dad, I didn't ever have this experience. Hey, Dad, I need some some bread. He never gave me a rock. We didn't have fish, but I never asked Dad for fish. He said, well, by the way, this is what I'm going to give you. And then he gives me a snake. But there's a temptation. That the one who died on the cross for our sins, if he doesn't give you what you want, you get angry at him. You need to lay that down. You need to trust your Father who's in heaven. And when you come to him in reverence, you lay those things aside that you think is best, that's going to make your life easier. You lay those things aside and say, okay, Father, it's me and you and we're going to develop this relationship. Um... Take your Bible and go to James chapter 1, just quick. James chapter 1 and verse 7. That man should, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord if he is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. If you're going to ask him, don't ask him in doubt. Say, God, this is what I think it is. And then when he doesn't give it to you, well, then, Lord, I just doubt that you're alive. Or, God, I don't think you can meet my needs. James chapter 4 and verse 3. James 4, 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may, that you may send what you did what you get on the, your pleasures. Maybe you're asking for the wrong motives because you're asking for your pleasures. Hey, God, give me this. This will make me happy. Doesn't work. First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, verse 14. Well, pick it up in verse 11 because you can't separate all that. But let me just read from 11. And this is a testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. 
He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we ask according to God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Don't leave out according to his will. Just because you ask does not mean it's according to his will. But if it is according to his will, you're going to get an answer. And sometimes the answers are no. And none of us like to be told no. Some of those answers might not be what we want, but then God's going to use those to affect somebody's life for eternity. So, at the lot of words, and I'll sum it up like this, stop the criticizing in your human relationships and start caring for others. The last verse in Matthew chapter 7 are these words. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. It's summed up by the law and the prophets. He's sitting with the Jews. The Old Testament we summed up, treat others the way you want to be treated. How well have we done this? How well have we done treating others? And then how well have we done with saying, okay, here's the cross. Empower me to treat people the way I want to, Holy Spirit, in your strength and in your power. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word. And I, I realize at times when we gather as a family that uh, there's things that are said that don't like, that are not liked, and that are not real positive at times or not real exciting at times. Maybe they're just really convicting. And so, Father, that's been one of the weeks, this, these things this week, as I work my way through this passage of Scripture. So, Father, I ask that our family, you would start with me, that you would help us lay down criticism, and you would help us put on love. Father, you would remove the plank out of our eye. And then the pride of our heart to think that why we can walk around with a plank and we're not, and we're better than somebody that has a speck in their eye. How far are we from the gospel when we live like that? How empty are we in our soul when we live like that? So, Father, fill us to be humble, faithful servants that lay down our lives for those who are around us. Father, thank you for our time together as a family. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.